Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. In this episode of Boss Files. It's not like I had a, you know, a team of cheerleaders rooting for me. Everyone pretty much thought I was not. Jessica Alba. You know her from the silver screen, but today you'll find her working around the clock as an entrepreneur. She's the co-founder of The Honest Company and is on a very personal mission. It all started after she had an allergic reaction to baby detergent. That story, plus, as she builds the multi-million dollar company, she is also very focused on another goal. So how important is it to you to get more more women on the It's sport? incredibly important. It's everything. So I leaned on women in business that I would meet, yeah. and I, like, over-leveraged probably or... or lean on them a little bit more than than they probably wanted me to. We also dive into why she says growing up was brutal. Her parents worked three jobs and barely made ends meet. How she succeeded and defied the odds. Here's my conversation with Jessica Alba. Jessica Alba, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. Uh, We're going to get into a lot. Uh, Your career as an actor, The Honest Company, your personal journey. But just first, this to begin... How do you define yourself today? Because you are so many things. Mom, entrepreneur, actor. Um, I don't know. I guess as a hyphen. <laughs> I um, like that. I've authored a book. I've started a company. I have kids. Um, I'm a friend. Um, I'm a terrible speller. <laughs> <laughs> I love to cook. I'm terrible with desserts, but I can cook Me any too. entree. I can't bake. Yeah, I, but I can throw down like whatever's in the kitchen, nice. I can like, you know, go and, and create something in 20 minutes. That is something it's I have not read about tasty. you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I started my life as, a, as an actor, mm-hmm. so. And you're not old and a lot has happened since then and we'll go through all of it. But I also did read that you live by the Japanese philosophy, wabi-sabi. I love that philosophy. Okay. What is I it? I don't know if I totally live by it. It's um, embracing the imperfections of life and kind of um, really, you know, things that have been worn in and have, have been lived in, allowing those nooks and crannies, like instead of everything being polished and clean and perfect all the time, allowing that life of your countertop having some scrapes Mm. because it's had some big family meals or um, having a piece of furniture that's worn down along the edges because, you know, first your dogs may have gnawed on it and then your children when they teeth. Then your kids, (laughs) yes. And so just allowing you to, to, to kind of embrace, I guess, what, you know, life and, and things that are lived Mm. in, but without clutter. I'm an anti-clutter yeah. person. You have to be in a New York apartment. <laughs> You've said you're terrible with small talk and terrible with strangers. Yeah. That makes your job kind of hard. Yeah, my husband's really good at both. <laughs> so I found a partner who's like great with small talk and um, and can, yeah, 
can deal with, really likes to talk to strangers. He, he actually enjoys it. Really? Yeah. Um, and I'm naturally a shy person. Um, and I'm awkward. So right. it takes me time to like warm up. I get like um, heart beating fast. I like don't know what to say. Oh. Um, so, you know, I think as an actor, most, there's two types of folks that, that like, you know, that are actors. One, the ones that want to be the center of attention, the ones that want to be somebody else. Mm -hmm. And I'm the one that wants to be somebody oh. else, <laughs> not the one that wants to be the center of attention. Um, I was always very uncomfortable with the spotlight. Weirdly, really? Yeah. But but you wanted to start acting at age 11. I did because I wanted to be somebody else. Oh. I was very sick as a kid, and yeah. um, and I spent a lot of time in hospital rooms and hospital beds, and I was really lonely. I went mm. to like 11 different schools by the time I was in eighth grade because your family moved around so much my family moved around my dad was in the military and then also um, I just didn't fit in mm -hmm. I just had a tough time um, and, and I didn't really identify with kids my age I, I was always kind of a strange kid old soul um yeah 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 probably I, I think I always knew that I that I wanted to have a point, and early on in my life, I wanted. I felt like if I'm here, if I'm lucky enough to be alive, yeah. then I want to do something that mattered. Um, otherwise, this life is a waste. And so, very early on, I had that consciousness about mm. my existence. Yeah, sort of like, a, which is weird. Very like existential at a very early age. <laughs> crisis, and I was like. You know, five or six. That's <laughs> <laughs> tough. And tough for your parents, probably, too, to yeah, figure out. Yeah, my parents are not like that. They're yeah. really, like, really suburban, like, middle of the road. Salt of the just earth. Just salt of the earth Americans. And you grew up. They trust people. Yes. They they love, they actually love talking to strangers. I'm from Minnesota, so I understand yeah, that. It's called like, Minnesota Nights. <laughs> my parents are that, but they're not from Minnesota. But yeah. It might as well be. Yeah. So you grew up uh, for the early part of your, your life on these Air Force bases, places like Biloxi, Mississippi, mm -hmm. Del Rio, Texas. Texas yeah. But you've talked about your upbringing economically because mm -hmm. you're so successful now professionally. Obviously, with that comes financially successful. Yeah. Um, but you talk about your upbringing, not easy. You say mm -hmm. we, we barely made ends meet. Your yeah. parents worked three jobs. Yeah. What was it like? It was brutal. Um, you know, also being exposed to, you know, my parents were 19 and 20 when they had me, 18 and 19 wow. when they got pregnant. And, um, you know, they were just learning to grow up. Like my mom never made food ever in her life. She never cooked for herself. She never cleaned up until she had me and was married and had to figure it out. So my parents and my, par my dad as well, so like they learned as as they went, and um, I was there as a kid, sort of watching them grow up and and growing up with them. So it's growing up it, with them, yeah. And often, you know, I I have always been sort of like this very this my character is to always like take control of a situation and think logically, where they can be a bit more emotional mm. and. Um, you know, they have a very, like, um, visceral reaction to things. Do you feel like you, in some ways, became the adult? I think I grew up quickly because I was exposed to a lot early. You know, like, listening to your parents, like, almost every night, talking about how 
they don't know how they're going to make it tomorrow or they don't know how they're going to pay the bills or how they're going to feed the family or what's going to happen and, and how to pay off this credit card debt and that one. Yeah. And, you know, even just for them just even understanding how to save money, that was just like a, yeah. a concept they, they just never were taught. And so I learned a lot just from watching them go through that. Mm -hmm. And I knew pretty early on that I would never want to be in that situation <coughs> myself. So I think that's why I, another reason why I wanted to work early <coughs> so that I can control my own destiny, destiny and, and, um, and be independent. You and your parents sacrificed a lot to help you achieve that dream of acting. I mean, you're 11 years old, your yeah. mom can't work because mm -hmm. she has to literally shuttle you around right. to all of these auditions and really help you achieve that goal. Right, and they spent, you know, it was the first time in, I got a TV show in Australia when I was 13, I got hired for it. And so for two years we were living there 10 months a year about. So it was the first time my parents also spent time apart. And, yeah. and dealing with that, so it was it was a lot of sacrifice on their end. Of course, it paid, um, paid off. But yeah, it, you know, it, it. They always said, if you work really hard, you can achieve anything you want, mm. and uh, and that that fearlessness of like when you start from the bottom, you have nowhere to go but up, and and why not just try? It's true. So. So fast forward to legendary director James Cameron. Mm -hmm. And this is your big break. You're a teenager, and he chooses you to star in the series Dark Angel. I, I read that this is what he said about you. This was a $125 million production. We're resting it on the shoulders of a teenager. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> they, they did. But then he goes on to say that you never backed down from a fight and had real integrity. You were out to prove something? Yeah, I mean, to be you know in the business back then, to be the star of a one hour action drama, sci-fi drama, it's like that's the hardest job there is. Um, and so I was in every scene. I was in first, second, and third unit. <laughs> um, you, we had eight days to shoot an episode. Um, it was. I think it was like $250,000 a day of production value. When I got sick, which was once I got sick, and I had all the producers, the insurance company, come to my hotel room, and I was to make like, sure you were really sick. Yeah, and I vomited on their <coughs> shoes as I, <laughs> I crawled to the door because they didn't believe me. I mean, can you imagine? Like, no, just you can't even have a day off. No, and I call them and I say I'm I'm sick and I won't be here for the show, and they say feel better. Yeah, no, that wasn't that wasn't the case. So, um, yeah, it was wow. it was a lot of pressure. And then on the weekends, I was shooting. I was doing all the PR, so I was shooting all the magazine covers, and I yeah. was doing endorsements um, and doing all of that stuff. So I'd work, my call times were 5 a.m. on Monday, and I'd wrap at around 5 or 6 a.m. on Saturday morning. And then on the weekends, I'd fly to L.A., and I'd work and then fly, fly back, back and start all, all over again. So. You told Vogue, people doubted me as an actress, and that is something that drove me. Mm -hmm. A lot of naysayers. Yeah, you know, when I was starting, everyone was like, oh, you look, because I kind of look the same as I've always <laughs> looked. I, I was this size when I was um, 11. Um, and, uh, and they were like, you look too mature, or you're too ethnic, uh -huh. or you're too, um, 
ethnically ambiguous, uh, and so people don't even know what you are. You know, they just gave every reason why I wasn't allowed to be a leading lady. Right. And uh, and Hollywood certainly didn't really do me any favors. It was the audience. So I, you know, really always paid attention to the global markets, mm -hmm. and I asked my agents and my managers early on what markets matter, and they said. Well, of course, the U.S., but also Asia, Japan, because they were the influencers back in the day, yeah. um, and Korea, yeah. and then um, and then Germany was a big, yeah. um, and the U.K. So I always made sure that if I ever did endorsements, global endorsements, that those territories would be covered, on. and that I always went and visited those territories. Thinking like a businesswoman yeah. at that point, Eight, I, I mean, smart. So yeah. before we get to the business that has ballooned the Honest Company, um, some interesting things. You became a devout, born-again Christian at age 12? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was a reaction also to, you know, my parents were young and they were free-spirited and they partied and hung out. And, and it's you were like, like I want to be the opposite. My rebellion was to be Ooh. the opposite. So that's how I have to my, get my daughter in line is I need to go party and, yeah, and, she'll and rebel hang and, out okay. and yeah, be cool. Okay. My parents were cool and fun and I was uptight and I wanted like, you know, regimen and, and rules and boundaries. <laughs> um, so I created them. But then you went to this camp, I think, and you met this cross-dressing ballet dancer five years later who totally changed your mind? Well, yeah, because, like, I kind of fell in love with him. Um, but I, when I was 16, yeah, I went to this, um, it's called Atlantic Theater Company. It's David Mamet's theater company. And uh, I went to the summer program in Burlington, Vermont. Mm. And it, um, yeah, I totally crushed on this, like, cross-dressing ballet dancer. And, uh, and I was like, there's no way that guy's going to hell. Like, these boarding Christians are crazy. He's beautiful. <laughs> and so then I was like, yeah, no, I don't think this religion's for me So anymore. you were over that phase. Yeah. So your career in acting has been incredibly successful. But for you, as you mentioned earlier, you were sick a lot as a kid. Mm -hmm. And you were in and out of hospitals constantly. And you eventually become a mother. You're a mother of two, a third on the way. Congratulations. Thank you. And here you are washing all these onesies for your first child. I remember doing that. By the way, I had way too many. You only need like 10. But anyways. <laughs> well, um, and ab you're, after <laughs> solids, though, you really go through them. That's <laughs> You do need more when they start, yes. But you were washing them with these traditional detergents, et cetera, and this sparked quite the idea for you. Yeah, I actually had an allergic reaction to something that... Um, my mother recommended I use, and it was for babies specifically. And I just felt like, um, you know, how the heck could something that's marketed to babies specifically and and all of that give me this type of reaction? Like, what's going on? And you think that if it's, you know, if certain products, shampoos or lotions or things, say hypoallergenic, or if there's a picture of a leaf mm -hmm. on there, um, or even if the word naturals is in it, you assume that it's better for you or it's safe or it's gentle, and that's just not always the case. It is the case sometimes, but it's just not always the case. So you started researching this on your so own. So I started researching it on my own, and I learned that there are lots of untested and potentially harmful chemicals in everyday products, and also in even just 
what's in your home. So, you know, your carpets, your curtains, your couches, your mattresses, there's they can off-gas because a lot of these things mm. are made from petrochemicals. Yeah. And then they're sprayed with formaldehyde because they it can ignite in under 10 seconds. Um, and so learning about the reality of the air quality that in your home, how that affects your health mm -hmm. and then also your babies. You went to Washington, D.C. and lobbied Congress on some of this yeah, stuff? Yeah, for chemical reform. Um, to I mean, what made you so upset, so angry, that you felt like you needed to use your platform, your fame, your, your name, your voice to go well, in front of Congress? What there were several things. One was me just thinking about how sick I was as a kid and how um, the rise of, you know, asthma, allergies, cancers, obesity, um, hormone dis disorders and in women um, and men, and also um, mental disabilities all linked to the environment and, and um, mm. certain things in the environment that have caused it. And the rise of the industrialization of chemicals, they coincide. There's like all of these graphs that mm. Mount Sinai and, and Mayo Clinic and any, anyone who studied environmental health and how it affects human health many um, of these institutes that have studied it, they really do. It's like this parallel path. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, so we're just, you know, people are guinea pigs and industries, um, there really aren't enough precautions prior to bringing something to market. And in Europe, they actually have to test chemical, the chemical for safety in use at the concentration in a product huh. prior to it being allowed to be used. Where in this country, enough people have to be proven to die or get oh. sick from something before they ban it. And um, there was this nonprofit that I found, <clears throat> and it was started by these parents whose this mother was nesting as we do. Yeah. And she was exposed to a certain chemical that was in a, um, a pesticide, uh, or they were fumigating their home. And even though they, she let it air out and whatnot, um, there was something in, in, that was still in the air um, that she was exposed to while she was pregnant. And the time that um, she went from having a totally normal uh, child, a little girl, and at age four, um, she got this rare form of, of cancer and passed away. And they think it's linked to and that? It and they found out that it is linked because the gestation period is four years and all these children were dying mm -hmm. of this rare form of cancer. So they did make the link, but <clears throat> enough people have to die. Enough people have to get, um, you know, there has to be attention around it before it becomes a thing. Mm -hmm. So they started this nonprofit to basically link, you know, potentially harmful right. chemicals to these um, and illnesses. And so that just, I, that just like made my blood boil. Well, and if you don't, if you're a <coughs> parent going through that and you don't have your sort of Aaron Brockovich, right, to like sort of rally people and call attention to it and sue the, sue the big firms, you don't, you don't get the attention. But also it's really hard to even sue the big firms. I mean, it's really, even when they win and, and, and even in those cases, there's so much caught up in the politics and the bureaucracy. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. I was like, forget that. So, so How about I create the solution? How about I create, I have a nonprofit mission. 
um, and how about I create a for-profit business around mm. my nonprofit mission. So this is the idea for The Honest Company. By yeah. the way, you launch it 2011. You have two little kids. Haven was four months. Mm -hmm. Honor was <laughs> three was years. Raising my initial <laughs> seed capital at Bravo. seven and a half months pregnant. Bravo to you. Interesting. Uh, I'm, what was that like, walking into these meetings seven and a half On months like pregnant? On like Sand Hill Road. And, yeah. Uh, up there in Stone Calm Valley. It was weird. It was. It actually reminded me of pitching a movie or TV idea to studios, except every studio is in a building right next to each other. <laughs> where at least in LA, like, you know, Sony Studios and Paramount Studios and Warner yeah. Brothers, they're like in different places. But here, there it's one building right after the mm -hmm. other. And you're just kind of like walking, walking from one and to the And are they next. looking at, for, okay, by the way, it's mainly men in these rooms. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So they're looking at you. Yes, you're a but celebrity. I had a, I, I had a great business um, partner uh, and group group of guys that, that I partnered with, um, and one in particular who had a great reputation, mm -hmm. has a great reputation in venture capital. So that really helped. Um, helped. And, and I, I, don't, I think it would have been a completely different experience if I didn't walk in with him. But that's sad. Think about it. You're saying even you, a movie star, proven successful as but, a woman. But being successful in entertainment doesn't mean you're going to be successful true, in business. That's true, but at least your name helps you get in the door. No? Mm, sure. I'm just saying, is it sad that you... People that aren't that enamored with. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sometimes they are, but it, for it, the most part. Fair. Okay. Yeah. Is it is it sad to you that you feel like you had to have men by your side for people to listen to this idea? I don't know if it was men as much as it's someone who had street cred in that space and my business partner created the subscription e-commerce business yeah. model. So it was someone that they trusted, knew how to take a business from zero to mm -hmm. something, and he had done it twice. You're talking about Brian? Brian, Brian Lee. Lee. Yeah. Um, you do say, though, Jessica, that you faced three years of, in your words, condescending nods and good luck <laughs> pats on the back. That is true. Before, that's like when I said I, I was... partnered with Brian. Brian and, yeah. That's like when I, when I told people... Um, <laughs> after college I was going to be a news reporter they were like good luck yeah good luck I mean it's sort of like when I was like I'm going to be an actress they're like really <laughs> okay <laughs> who do you know how is that going to happen but, so what did, did that embolden you did that just totally yeah I mean it made me de more determined but it also it was really hard and I think you learn a lot about yourself you learn a lot about um, the type of, I guess, your perseverance and um, and what you're capable of when people don't believe in you or don't think don't think you can achieve what what you know you can. Um, it's not like I had a you know a team of cheerleaders rooting for me. Right. Um, everyone pretty much thought I was nuts. So. I know it took a while for you to trust your gut on this one, mm -hmm. but when did that happen, that you did trust your gut? You know, it's been a process because even along the way, I trusted my gut that this business needed to exist. But then, you know, when you start the company and you have three other founders, it also has to be their idea and they have to really embrace it as their own. And mm -hmm. so the company can take on a life of its own and it it took me it took me about three years to really um, gain back the narrative and, and the control 
you know, over the vision of the company and, um, and the strategy of where we needed mm -hmm. to go. And then it took me about two more years after that to really assert my, you know, my positioning. Because it's tough when you're the only woman in the room, in the boardroom, on the Is that true? Is the board all men? Yeah. Still? Um, yeah. We're, but we're changing it. I have a new CEO. <laughs> you do have a new CEO. I do. We had, we had a woman for a short period of time who's a professor, but she, she wasn't there for that long. Um, so how important is it to you to get more, more women on this it's board? It's incredibly important. It's everything. So I leaned on women in business that I would meet, yeah. and I like over-leveraged probably or, or leaned on them a little bit more than, than they probably <laughs> wanted me to. And, and just um, I just felt so alone How did on that this happen journey. in your own company? Because I'm one of three, and there's three guys and me, you know, and I didn't know how to, my, you know, and I'd never done this before. So my husband's advice, which was the right advice, which was like, don't worry, just like listen, listen and learn. And like, you don't always know everything. And this is a time for you to learn. And there's that to a certain point, but then there's also the point where you got to put your foot down and you have to trust your gut and you have to know that diversity and thought is important. Very. And there are women in sen that are senior level women that could come and work at the company. Especially in this space. I mean, Especially, this isn't just this. And, and also I shouldn't be the only one that understands the consumer and cares no. about the consumer. But the issue was, um, you know, the, the, the mindset was that when you build something from nothing is you're really having the business revolve around a business model versus building a brand and being consumer centric. And so there was this tension, which I think could probably be a healthy tension initially when you start something. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, if you want to build something that's going to last, you have to build a brand and you have to think of the consumer first. And that's what I got back around to. And yep. that's what the new my new CEO, yeah. that's how he thinks about building a brand. And mm -hmm. that's also the team of executives that he has He's brought building. on. And, uh, and we have a lot more diversity. And we're also creating um, a program inside of the company. So no matter where you come in, at any entry level job um, or up, there's a path for you to, um, a real career pathing mm -hmm. to get you up to uh, where you want to go in your life and up to that C-suite executive capabilities. So we're going to have a, a curriculum and a program and a mentorship in-house inside of the Honest Company for women specifically. Good. Yeah, did it's you, necessary. Did you, and we'll talk uh, about the new leadership in the company now, but did you ever go to the former CEO or the former other uh, you know, founding partners and say, we need women on the board? <laughs> of course. Yeah. What they say, you know, it's it. It's not that they didn't want to. It's just when you're thinking month to month about your financial goals, and that's more important than building a long-term vision and strategy. It's just a different mentality on how it how is. to build something. So um, we were always kind of on opposite hmm. ends of the spectrum, and and I don't think. W one of them is a little more long-term thinking, but he also comes from a nonprofit background. But I think that was really good. I think that's why we were, we were so successful 
to start, but I think you probably hit a plateau with that mentality. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then you need true alignment across the mm. board to take the company um, from where we, we are now to that next stage. One of the things that you say that you've learned being a woman in business is twofold. One, ask for help. Learn how to ask for help. Mm -hmm. And two, be okay with criticism. Mm -hmm. What were those two sort of journeys like for you? Um, well, I was afraid of, of people thinking that I was dumb or I should know the way a certain thing works. And, and so much was confusing about a lot of the way that, um, you know, certain business models were explained or how certain, you know, raising money this way or that way is explained. And so I was like, should I ask in the room? You know, should I ask the CFO how this is going to get broken yeah. down? And, and is it weird? And then I try to go home and ask my husband like what he thought of that and he was like I don't know you should ask, <laughs> ask you your should CFO go, <laughs> you should go ask the CFO and ask them to like break it down for you um, and and then when I was just also just on company structure you can structure a company there's so many different ways to do it mm -hmm. and um, especially on that C-suite and you know who has the ultimate decision you know what does the chairman of the board do what is a president versus CEO what is the chief operating officer can that you know you don't always need all of those functions mm -hmm. but sometimes you really do need all of those different functions right. and so you can structure a company so many different ways so that was just a big learning experience you said uh, you didn't think you were smart at one point mm -hmm. do you now yeah <laughs> yeah you know I also had an insecurity because I didn't go to college yeah guess who else didn't finish college a lot of people. Bill Gates yeah. Mark Zuckerberg yeah. there's plenty yeah and and I don't know, I, I guess I always just admired people who had the luxury of being able to just like learn and, and not have to worry about mm. like making money or having a career. And, right. and, and that to me is like the greatest luxury is just to learn about anything that your heart desires. And that's so cool. And I always wanted to, so. Um, well, now you are daily. Now I am, I mean, that's <coughs> sort of been my, my MO is like, you know, I just, I put, I jump in, you know, with two feet and mm -hmm. uh, and try to sink or swim, and and usually I can doggy paddle and <laughs> get myself get myself through it. Um, you have said, do not let you, you know, giving advice to others coming up. Do not let yourself be defined by your mistakes. And I think yeah. I certainly harp on mine. Yeah, I I used to. Um, I think having children has Helps. really allowed me to be have more compassion for myself and mm. for others and know that like you know you're allowed to I think the most valuable lessons actually come from making mistakes and going down the wrong mm -hmm. path now making the same mistake three times that's when you got some problems <laughs> but but you know figuring it out for yourself sometimes you just have to go through it yep. you can't always learn from other people you have called yourself brutally honest and a little bit black and white. Yeah. Now, I would think that that's good in business, being a leader. I think... Or is it different when you're a woman and you're like that? You know, I think as a woman, it's harder for people to um, deal with you when you are brutally honest and you can... You know, that famous B word comes oh, out. I do. And when a man is brutally honest and to the point in black and white, they're really smart. Mm. He's you just know? straightforward. He's just straightforward and to the point. He just gets right to yeah. it. Yeah. 
Um, and so it's just the way society or culture, yeah. you know, want, expects women to behave. On the um, flip side, I have found that when you are a leader and you're, you know, managing different types of people, not everyone learns the same way. So depending on the type of person you are, mm -hmm. you may not, you may need more velvet glove than iron fist. Hmm. And um, even though that's the way that I communicate and that's the way that I respond best is when someone's just to the point and gets to it, yeah. other people, they close up and they get defensive and they don't know how to take it and that's you true. make their head spin. And so if you want to get what you need out of di many different types of people, sometimes you have to use different tactics. This is true. So your daughters are old enough now to weigh in on on uh, products. <laughs> yeah, nine and six, mm -hmm. and they do. Yeah, I they hear, do. Weigh in, and are, are they like your test case on some of this oh, stuff? Oh, all of it. Even the first, you know, shampoo, body wash, the scent for it. Um, Christopher and I, you know, tested it on our kids, <laughs> and we're like, "Does it sting your eyes?" <laughs> oh, lovely. <laughs> do you like the bubbles? Are is it bubbling up enough? And like the test was like, if we could do, you know, like the troll spike. Yeah, on the, the hair. Shampoo. I that, did feel that was like, yeah, it sets up. Enough. I did feel bad giving my daughter a bath last night. I'm like at the end of the. You know, I, and sorry, I I do have honest at home usually, but this is like some free giveaway little thing I got, and I'm squeezing it into the bath, and she says bubbles, bubbles, and I was like, sorry, there's no bubbles, so I will need to go buy some <laughs> something that bubbles today for her. Ours bubbles really nicely. Yes, I know. <laughs> and there's that. so many places. I can know get it. that. <laughs> um, let's talk about growth, and let's talk about some of the stumbling blocks because this has not been an easy road. Starting a company never is. The yeah. growth. I think. I think people think it should be easy. Really? I think so, because everyone seems to be so shocked when it's not. <laughs> You're like, uh. Newsflash. <laughs> Newsflash, starting something from nothing is very is hard. hard. Especially when yeah. you grow the way you guys have. I mean, not long ago, 2012, feels like yesterday, yeah. you guys were t 10 million in revenue, then you yeah. balloon up to 1.7 billion dollar valuation. You've just raised another, um, you know, another round. What, what would you say your valuation is now? Um, we don't really talk about that. And to me, like, valuations and all that stuff, I don't, it depends, like, again, it, it's all perspective. And it's like, who's looking at it and how do they really value um, a brand mm -hmm. versus your revenue and your growth and your projected growth mm -hmm. and um, how much can you really predict? And it's all, it's all, messy and usually your five-year plan disappears after one year so as much as people want to predict things mm -hmm. um doesn't sound like that's what you're focused on it's just not my focus my focus is building like a brand that stands for something mm -hmm. and giving people access to um information and a community and products mm -hmm. to live a healthy happy life uh you guys tend to uh it seems like to me, just from a casual observer, be in the headlines more than some of your competitors. Oh, of course. When there are missteps, so or just regular everyday things that happen to every CPG company so, <laughs> that wouldn't be a headline and, at a, and ever. We'll, we'll talk about some of your comments on that in a moment. But yeah. in June, you guys uh, did uh, agree to a one and a half million dollar settlement. This is a class action case over misleading some consumers on ingredients. There was this $7 million labeling lawsuit. 
What yeah. do you learn? What do you walk away from those with? Um, we have to be more stringent on the way that we communicate on marketing materials because there is no real law in place um, for using the word natural. Yeah. Um, so you have to define it as a company and you have to make it very transparent and clear about how you define it as a company, mm -hmm. um, either on front or back of pack, depending on the person who decides to come after you. And there are people who make a living off of going after companies around these issues that are in the gray area and they make a lot of money because they know that it'll be cheaper for you to settle than to deal you know with you mean it. trial lawyers class action lawyers class action lawyers yeah and so there's a whole industry of class action lawyers that that do this and they go after all the same companies there's just not a headline when it's they're going after any other company um, but it's that's it, there's a whole industry and there's no ramification when there's no merit to the the lawsuit and they're suing you just for the sake of mm -hmm. it um, like there was uh, this one that sued us for, you know, they didn't like how we classified organic because they have a problem with the way the FDA classifies organic. And then they went after us because they knew that my name would give them a headline. It was an organization. So your name, is, it's a double-edged sword in that sense. It <laughs> is, but then you're just kind of like, should I not do it then? Should I not raise the standard? Should I not give people... Um, better products? Should we not push the envelope in the way that corporations work and putting human health and safety first over, mm -hmm. you know, their bottom line? No, I think we should exist. I think we should still um, raise standards. I think, you know, people do uh, deserve to have transparency about around what's inside. They do deserve higher quality products at a fair price. What about, so you guys, uh, like all consumer products companies do uh, at some point or another, you recalled um, some of the baby wipes, baby powder out of an abundance of caution in your words. Mm -hmm. um, and after that, and that happens. It happens. And after a that, lot. someone's written about how these products are outsourced, not in-house. You have a new CEO. You have new management coming in. Are you thinking about but, that, Jessica? But most most companies yes, they outsource. Are. I'm just wondering if you're it's thinking like why about why it's even like a thing is so ridiculous because no one's saying like, oh, said company, you outsource half of your is wipes it, business. No one says so. That. It's not realistic to in-house a lot of this stuff. Well. If we want to invest in supply chain and in being manufacturers, that's a whole other skill set. Mm -hmm. But we'd rather take the best of the best of our chemistry in-house and work with part biz partners uh, globally mm -hmm. that make, that are experts in their field. If someone's dedicated, they spent 80 to 100 years making diapers or making detergents, they probably know a lot more about mm -hmm. it than a company that started five years ago from scratch trying to put together a machine to make a diaper or a detergent. And so you, we take our chemistry that we do in-house and we source a lot of our mm -hmm. raw materials and then we go and we find the best manufacturing partners. And also you get a better price if you can work with 
different manufacturing partners, and the reason why that's important is because people, it should be affordable. And the only way that we can be affordable is if mm -hmm. we can get the best price when we're making stuff. And you told Entrepreneur Magazine that some of this criticism of the company you said is more tabloid fodder and <laughs> wouldn't is. be a headline if it were anywhere else. Yeah, and I've even had the journalists of very reputable big business journalists, and we've had exchanges before they write articles, and I say, why don't you bring in X, Y, and Z company that is dealing with the exact same thing? And they're like, because they're not Jessica Alba. And they say would. that to you? Oh, yeah. They're very transparent. They're like, it wouldn't be a headline. No one would read it. It would end up in the, a back page of a business. It, I would never, no one would read my article. And I want to get a promotion. They're very, like, <laughs> so transparent about it. And so, in, in that go. sense, has being a, has being Jessica Alba, has being a movie star, as well as a businesswoman, has that side of it made it harder for you in business, easier, or both? I think it's just been really interesting. <laughs> it's made it a, a very, very interesting journey. You know, I think Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk and Sheryl mm -hmm. Sandberg who are all people in business who never started in entertainment. I think, you know, they're enough of a household name at this point, certainly in the business community. I was going to say they're celebrities in their own right. In the business community. And so they have probably, a, a, you know, uh, they feel like they live in a fishbowl sometimes and mm -hmm. people are extra sensitive around things that they say and and they probably feel that, that way as well. Mm -hmm. So... Um, it's just been very interesting. Life. <laughs> now you're adding a third kid to it, so just yeah. to make things a little... Yeah, but I'm, like, really excited. Of I really course. like babies. So there was a reported, I don't know if you'll comment on this or not, but a reported potential sale to Unilever. Didn't happen. As you look at the company now, new management coming in, what do you think? You, you want to sell? You want to... There were lots of... There's been lots of companies. Even before I started the company, I got offered a full buyout for my company. Just for the brand, just for the name. Just for me attached to the name. Wow. And and what we were doing. And you didn't. And obviously. I didn't. And I, you know, could have made a nice uh, yeah. you know, living off of that. And I just really believed in where um, we could take this and I you know, there's no lack of interest. There never has been ha has been because it's tough to build something from scratch and to build something that really resonates with today's consumers. Our consumer is a 25 to 35-year-old mom. That, I mean... No, am I almost getting aged out of this? No, no, no. It's more... It's, <laughs> it's wider than that. But that core consumer of the person who's starting her family, she's reading ingredients, she's changing her habits. Mm -hmm. Health and wellness is, like, first and foremost in her mind. And she's looking for a real solution set. And we're not just products. We're a community. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a lifestyle. And, um, and most people, um, certainly in this age group, feel like a lot of brands don't get them. And we do. And so that's very hard for any big company that's been around for hundreds of years to try and replicate. Yeah. You know, McKinsey can do many different studies and try and figure out a great marketing campaign to resonate with this millennial. And, um, but at the end of the day, you either are authentic or you're mm -hmm. not. And so um, I, I think there will never be a lack of interest. Um, 
and I do think that we are just at the early stages of our company of and, what you and, want to build. and and I'm really excited about our future with the new um, leadership in place. Mm -hmm. Quickly before we go, I know we have to wrap up soon, but just about being a mom, I was I applaud you for being so honest about how hard it is. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Like enough of those glowing like everything's perfect um, op-eds. And you talk about bedtime being mm. really stressful. It is stressful. Why? Yeah. Well, because I've had, you know, every day I'm in back-to-back -back meetings. I drive. My commute to work and back is a minimum of 45 minutes each way. So you're, like, dealing with traffic and you're trying to get home in time for all the stuff. And then I'm just so drained mentally and emotionally. Mm -hmm. and, and then you come home and... And you want to be completely there for the kids, and you want to be their everything. You're trying to soak up, like, their day, the homework, their yeah. friends. You know, also, like, make sure and reinforce boundaries and, and rules and, and all of that, while also being an ear uh, to listen. And it's just, like, you never get time to yourself. Um, where it is my favorite time cuddling with the kids, but then it's like, okay, I want four songs. I want to talk about all <laughs> of my books. friends. I want um, my daughter's reading chapter books, so you know that doesn't end. Wow. She's yes. like, well, I have like two more chapters. I'm like, oh god, <laughs> please no. And then my other little one is like crying because she's like, you've been with Honor longer than me. And then it's like a fight. And then I'm like, go back to your bed. And then I have to do equal amount of books. And then the four songs. And then Honor's like, no fair, you just left on Haven's room. You were in there way longer. So then I'm like, I haven't eaten dinner yet. It's no, 8 o'clock. Let alone even talk to your husband. Oh, no. Definitely yeah, not have I not know. talked to my husband. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like crying at the end of the day. And I just want to feed myself. But this is why you do say, Jessica, that, that self-care is so important. Yeah. And I feel guilty. And time management. Yes, and I feel guilty when I want to take that time. Yeah. Um, and that's yeah, not helpful to anyone. Sometimes I just come home and I turn the bath on. And I'm like, I'm going to give you your four songs when I'm done with my bath. And they cry. And I don't do the chapter book and the, you know, first first reader's books, whatever the heck they're called, write start <laughs> books that my six-year-old is reading right now so slowly. Um <laughs> And, and sometimes I just, I take my bath I and I'm just like, I just need to because I feel crazy and it's not all the time right. and they freak out and it, I but just let okay. them, but they'll be okay. okay. They'll survive. And when I go in and cuddle them, they forgot that they freaked out and cried and, you know, threw a tantrum. So the, the yeah. what is the thing that you most want them to say about you at the end of the day, when they are interviewed one day, when they are sitting here running their own companies, speaking to a journalist, oh, and a journalist asks them, what was your mom like? <laughs> um, How do you God, want them to that's really hard. think about you? I think, gosh, I, I have no idea. I hope they, th I hope they say she did the best she could and she and I always felt loved mm. um, and supported because that's ultimately what you want yeah you know your kids to say but 
there is like this little thing inside of me where I want them to think I'm fun, even though I'm not. <laughs> like I'm more the disciplinary one, and I really want them to think that I'm fun. I don't know why that's important. Because you had fun party parents. Probably, and and I don't know. Or like Cash is fun, and their dad. Yeah, their dad, and so. I don't know. I don't want to just be like I'm all about rules and and everything you have to do and you know manners. No, I'm. I feel like I'm kind of fun, and so I, I hope there's Something a little tells me bit your of household is kind I of. I hope fun. there's a little bit of fun in there. Well, congratulations on everything, and mostly on the little boy in the way. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Jessica. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Boss Files. If you're a new fan of the show, please go to Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app and subscribe. While you're there, leave us a review and let us know how we're doing. As always, you can follow me at Poppy Harlow CNN. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.